Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The Seattle Seahawks take on the San Francisco 49ers for the first time this year, their second NFC West opponent on the schedule to this point this season. And joining me here to talk about it is Oscar Aparicio of the Better Rivals Podcast. Oscar, welcome back to the show. It is always a pleasure to come on, Brandon. It's an annual tradition. I'm excited we get to maintain these traditions, even in this very weird year with no fans and kind of like a talk track in the background. Uh, but you know what? I'm happy because uh, we're not going to have a bunch of screaming fans and hard counts and whatnot to have to contend with in Seattle. Makes it a little easier for the <laughs> Niners this year. Yeah, this has been a very different year, although it's been a very exciting year for the Seahawks getting out to the 5-0 and start. And uh, having that kind of unfortunate loss in overtime where, you know, I think to this point of the season, you know, Seahawks fans have been conditioned, Oscar. We we either get up uh, by multiple scores, allow a team back in at late, and the, the, the defense finds some way to pull off a win at the end. And again, we, we saw it play out again this last week that we let the team back in. But then Geno Smith, the, the coin toss master. Uh, gets the flip in in overtime, and we just assume that Russell Wilson with the ball is just going to lead us to a touchdown and win the game, and that's just how we win this game. That that is the expectation. I mean, Russell Wilson has played bonkers this year. You you know that even though I'm, I'm a Niner fan, I've been in Russell Wilson's corner as one of the top three best quarterbacks in the NFL for a few years now. That's true. And and the let Russ cook movement. I mean, the the nerds won is <laughs> is really the takeaway of 2020. The nerds won. Pete Carroll listened. And, and now Russ is cooking and he, he needs to, because the defense is, Ooh, it's something. Uh, but, but he, he is cooking. He it's, it's absurd. I mean, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Tyler Lockett had a, a bonkers game, three touchdowns, 200 yards. I mean, it just, it smooths over so much. There's no reason that the Seahawks should be this good. If not for Russell Wilson, any other team without a top three quarterback crumbles. And, and at some point you just have to realize that those one score games, that's just their style of play, right? It's, the, it's, it's, it's built into their DNA at this point. Um, and, and they're very good at winning those games. It, it's now a trend and, and it's going to be, there's always something crazy when, when the Seahawks play the Niners always. And, and I'm just trying to figure out what crazy thing it's going to be this game. Yeah. I don't even know if it's something that's worth trying to predict, but I do feel like you know, you and I, we both have a sense for the team that the Seahawks is this year. It's it's a team with Russell Wilson that can put a lot of points up on the board. The defense, not a lot there to talk about, but they have made some important plays at, in, in really critical moments this season. Most fans by week eight know what kind of team they have. But do you know what kind of team you have in the San Francisco 49ers this year? Oh, man, that's a, actually a really good question. I, I think that we do know exactly what type of team the Niners have. And, and, and it's largely a team that is it, it's it's going to be a lot of what you had last year, just with a less pass rush. I think the, uh, the the defense is still pretty good and and it's pretty good because of the emergence of Jason Verrett. Jason Verrett was someone who I was really excited about last year because he is exactly the type of player that is the reclamation project you want oft injured, but supremely talented and low cost, low investment. If you hit, you hit big, but if you don't, it doesn't really cost you a whole heck of a lot. I thought that was going to be the case last year, but he got injured as he is wont to do. And we just had to wait one more year for his breakout season per PFF grading. He is now like a top five or top seven corner 
which is is pretty ridiculous. Uh, and it's largely on the, on the strength of a couple of really good plays and, and a couple of, of or and an interception. But I think the defense is still pretty good um, in large part because of Robert Sala and what he's been able to do to scheme up pressure and get really exotic with his defense. And I think on offense, it's still the offense that you know and love. It's predicated on a solid ground game, getting into a positive game script, getting your ball to your playmakers and letting them do things after the catch. It really is Kyle Shanahan's offense. And as long as they keep things around Jimmy Garoppolo fairly um, consistent, protect him, don't get under too, too quickly in terms of, of game script and keep the running game humming, this game, this team looks dominant. The problem is when those things don't all go, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is not Russell Wilson. And some games he can flash and, and do what he did against Seattle uh, last year or against New Orleans. Sometimes he just looks kind of out of sorts and ends up throwing some weird interceptions. And, and it's that lack of consistency, I think, that, that is why sometimes you get some clunker performances from the Niners, but also some ridiculously good ones. Yeah, and with the ridiculously good ones this year, the 49ers have scored 30 or more points against the Jets, the Giants, and then just this last week against the Patriots. I'm curious, if you didn't watch the game against the Seahawks and 49ers this Sunday, and I told you that the 49ers scored 30-plus against the Seahawks, how much would you be willing to bet that it was a win? Ooh, um, not a lot. Uh, <laughs> about as far as I could throw Mike McGlinchey. <laughs> and, and Mike McGlinchey's a big man. Uh, maybe not Trent Williams big, but he's a big dude. Um, it, you know, if the Niners score 32, I do not put it past Russell Wilson to score 36. This could easily be like a 42-38 game. And, and that wouldn't surprise me in the slightest just because of what the, the Niners defend well, um, which is, you know, kind of some of those, they, they like to keep everything in front of them, just like the old Seahawks defenses did. Right. But they haven't really been tested deep a whole heck of a lot. And both their safeties are injured. You might see the return of Jaquaski Tart, maybe Jimmy Ward. They didn't practice today. And, and if they don't, Tarverius Moore, who doesn't have a lot of experience, is going to play that deep free safety. He had a, an overall solid game, but still had some lapses in coverage in, in the game against New England. You look at what DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett can do. They will stress you out everywhere, especially DK Metcalf. Mm -hmm. I remember we talked about uh, DK when he was drafted. And, and I remember telling you that the one place I didn't want DK to go was Seattle. You did. Because, because I think if he goes to a place like San Francisco, he probably just isn't that good. But in Seattle, it was the perfect match of what he does well and what Russell Wilson does well, that he's just going to tear it up. And of course, that's exactly what he does. And and he I mean, he he is going to stress that Niners defense. He is. He's big. He's physical. and He's fast. And it's going to make the safeties, you know, really not. It's going to test them in a way they haven't been tested before this season outside of maybe Fitzpatrick. But Fitzpatrick <laughs> is picking on Brian Allen, who is now no longer with the team because he's not good at football. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations, so, by the way, that. Uh... That Brian Allen, he now makes it so Jamar Taylor isn't the worst corner on the team. Yeah. Hey, Jamar Taylor had uh, a couple of interceptions. Uh, and I that's how I know that something's wrong with Cam Newton, Oscar. <laughs> Dude, what the interception, the second interception that he got, because one was on a tip. The second one that he got was like he just needed to exist. It was such a bad throw. It was just and it was a Jared Stidham throw, the second one. But it was it, he he hanged he hanged the ball up inside on an out route. It's exactly where you don't want to throw the ball. And Jamar Taylor just like it hit him between the numbers. And all he had to do was exist. And he did that well. But but yeah, it wasn't exactly a, a super plus play for Jamar Taylor. 
How different is this 49ers team from the team that we saw in week 17? Because, gosh, Oscar, I, I almost feel bad for the 49ers and injury issues because I, Bosa going out is the, the biggest one, obviously. But I, I just feel like there's so many different changes that it would almost be unrecognizable to put that 49ers defense that the Seahawks faced off against in week 17 versus the one that we're going to see coming up here on Sunday. You know, it, it is a different team, but they still do a lot of what they like to do. They just achieve it in different ways. Mm. The Niners are still generating pressure at a fairly high rate. They're still in the top 10 in the league in generating pressure. I know that's difficult for Seahawks fans to identify <laughs> because you don't know what generating pressure looks like this season. But the Niners I still can't still- believe the fact that we got Ken Norton Jr. away from you when when the 49ers were about to hire him. That, no, uh, he was hired. He was hired for a week. Right. He, he was officially an assistant head coach and a linebackers coach for one whole week. And then because, you know, I mean, the defensive coordinator obviously is, is a promotion. The team was like, yeah, we get it. Go be a DC. That's a step up. We respect you. We love you. Go do your thing. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the team still generates pressure at a fairly high rate. And, and they do it, though, with stunts. They do it with blitzes that are well-timed. They do it by, you know, by doing some really, really exotic things with their fire zone blitzes. The, the first couple of weeks of the season, they they had a, a king's adjustment to their fire zone blitz where they sent the 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 linebacker and uh, another either the, the weak side linebacker or sometimes a DB to try to get, you know, six on six. And it really left them compromised on the back end if they didn't get there. But they got there a lot. So Robert Sala is dialing up some some really great blitz schemes, a lot of stunts. And they're still generating pressure at a high rate. So there's still a team that can get to the quarterback coverage unit's still the same. Um, and, you know, and the offense is still predicated against run. It's going to look familiar just with a different cast of rotating players. Well, and depending on how successful they are with that front four, that's going to leave the rest of the work to the back seven. And I want to hear from you, Oscar, just how you think the 49ers defense and the corners are going to approach playing guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett coming up on Sunday. Let's talk about that coming up next. Talking to Oscar Aparicio of the Better Rivals podcast, and we're looking ahead to Sunday's game against the San Francisco 49ers and Seattle Seahawks. You have mentioned that Brett's, you know, this has been uh, a nice season from him to this point. He does look like your top corner out of the group. I'm curious, though, is this is he to the point on this team to where he would follow the Seahawks number one wide, wide receiver? And if he were to do that, which one of those receivers would you pick? The team isn't really a shadow corner team. They haven't done that historically, and I don't think that's going to change now. They, they do switch their corners up and have based on field and boundary. So the, the field side being the wide side of the field, the boundary being the short side of the field when the ball is kind of set between the hashes. And, and so they do like to stick their corners to a side. Um, and, and it used to be historically that, you know, Sherman was always on the left and then whomever was always on the right. Now they do switch them around based on the area of field they have to cover. Mm. And, and that's a little bit of a change, but not one that, um, that is going to be like, you're going to follow someone, uh, or, or be a shadow corner. And, and I wouldn't want him to do that. Honestly, I think he is, he's not that good and he's played well this year, but he's still not like, you know, he has a, a top five grade, but I wouldn't necessarily put him in like the elite stratosphere of, of player quite yet. So I think that when you think about how you're going to cover the, the Tyler Lockett's of the world, K1 Williams may be coming back from injury. He sprained a knee ligament 
that this is going to be the San Francisco CLs. Whatever mm-hmm. CL is left uh, is going to be the one that is playing. Uh, and Cameron Williams is getting one of those uh, ligaments back. And so he may play, which is going to be good because he is one of the better corners, I think, in the slot in the NFL if he's healthy. And so I think you're going to see a lot of, of cover four if the if the Seahawks are going to let Russ cook. And, and that's what the Niners are expecting. And that's the, the game plan they have when they see a lot of pass heavy teams or when they see teams that try to spread them out a lot. When you look at their week one game plan against Arizona, it was a ton of cover four. I mean, it was like 60 percent cover four. And this is a, a team that is known for running that single high Robert Sala type of of, of scheme but he's been incredibly diverse over the course of the last couple of years. They play three different coverages over 25 or over 20% of the time. Um, and so they, they can throw a lot of diverse looks at you. It's not just that single high wash, rinse, repeat. And if they expect a lot of passing, I think they may play more cover four more, and mix more things up. And if you get starters back who have been in the system for a long time, I think Saul is going to go to more exotic things that, it, that are going to throw different looks at Russell Wilson to try to confuse him and or the offensive line. So I think that's how they're going to try to cover the receivers. These are not receivers that you can just man up and and expect to win every kind of rep. But but I think you're going to see Sala deploy lots of different coverage looks to try to get uh, something on those receivers and then throw some pressure at Russell Wilson. Yeah, and because, I mean, really, if you were to point at one thing and say, if the 49ers are going to win, they need to slow down Russell Wilson. So do you... Uh, do you see the 49ers having that capability to throw that defense at Russell Wilson and get that kind of pressure that it, it it's going to take? I think it's it's hard to slow down Russell Wilson. It just is. He He's not the kind of guy that you go in and expect to, to keep him down for a full game. I, I mean, even if the Niners are able to do it for, you know, a half or three quarters, you know, it's still four quarters of play. And Russell Wilson seems to always pull something out of his hat and then throw a deep ball and throw a pretty rainbow ball. And I think last week, Next Gen Stats had him with, like three of the top seven, like least likely to be completed footballs that were completed, uh, like passes that were completed uh, because he just, his passes, his, especially his deep passes are just so pretty. So I don't think the Niners are going to necessarily contain Russell Wilson. I think if they keep the Seahawks to under 28 points, that's a win. I think if the Niners win, it's because Jimmy Garoppolo has a good game. Yeah. And, and I know we're probably gonna talk about the offense in a little bit, but that's that that's I think how the Niners are going to have their path to victory is is they're going to have to play the underdog game, which is run the ball, control the ball. Don't give Russell Wilson opportunities to score because he will score if given the opportunity and then capitalize yourself when you've got the ball. Well, you're right. We have spent a lot of time on the 49ers defense. And I, I do have another question, though, and I don't know if this leans more defense or offense or or the team as a whole. But what of the injury issues that you've seen taught you about the 49ers to this point? Uh, that turf is terrible. <laughs> Uh, don't play on turf. Uh, turf should be eradicated from the game. Hey, guess what? You get to play on some turf. Uh, I know. In Seattle. I understand this. I understand this. Uh, MetLife Stadium should be uh, imploded. Uh-huh. New Jersey may as well go with it. These are all things I've learned over the course. Is of that going to be in the players' heads at all? No, I don't think so. Not at this point. I think it's because they played. There are not all turf is created equal. And the turf at MetLife was unusually sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that. I think all turf is just appreciably worse than field, uh, like regular grass. But I don't know that Seattle's is necessarily um, like super duper bad. But but I think if if the injuries have taught me anything this year, it's that the Niners do have a complement of really smart, good coaches that take advantage of what their players can do, um, depending on what player is in there. And then the only laps this year was Sala with Brian Allen and, and really kind of thrown into the wolves against Miami. But other than that, you do see the team change their tactics based on 
the injuries they have. You see them throw faster when they have injured offensive linemen or when they're not communicating all that well. You see them run the ball. If Jimmy Garoppolo is not having a good game, they take the ball out of his hands and they start having passes that are really runs. Um, you know, you, you start to see the defense blitz a bit more and and do those types of things when you have a coaching staff that's dialed into what their team can actually do and and then puts them in a position to do what they expect them to do. And, and so that's, I think, what I've learned is that the, the team has some good coaches and, and that's a good spot to be. One thing that I've learned is that I now know for sure who the best quarterback on the roster is, and that is Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> was that ever a question? Really? Was did you have like Seahawks fans that were Mullen stands? That I, were like, I think I think there are a few. I think there was the questions of of is Garoppolo like is there that much of a difference between Mullins and Garoppolo? And it was very apparent when we saw Mullins come into the game. I made I made a tweet earlier. I think it said like that uh, that Jimmy Garoppolo is a Kyle Shanahan stat. Uh, you know how like pressure is a quarterback stat <laughs> right. and stuff like that. It's the Jimmy Garoppolo is a Kyle Shanahan stat. And I say that kind of facetiously because yes, there is a marked difference in talent level and ability to execute from Nick Mullins to CJ Beathard to Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but Jimmy Garoppolo is still in a very quarterback friendly system. And and while he does make some great throws, he he isn't always asked to do a ton this is this is something that I think it, it's really important when to look at quarterbacks through this lens is you can appreciate what a quarterback is that that a quarterback executes on what they're being asked to do while also realizing that they're not being asked to do too much. Jimmy Garoppolo often isn't asked to do too much. And, and you know, throwing a little tap pass a yard and a half to Debo Samuel while he, you know, saunters into the end zone is not being asked to do a whole hell of a lot. I could probably complete that pass. <laughs> But but when you look at a quarterback like Russell Wilson, he is asked to do a ton. He is asked to shoulder a ton. And he does those things very well. And I do think that if the Niners are going to win, that they do have to get a really good game from Garoppolo where they ask him to do a lot and he executes on doing a lot. Unless, of course, the Niners just come in and pull out the Green Bay game plan and just run all over you, which I don't think is going to happen because I think Seattle actually sneakily has a good run defense. It's just that they don't get run on often. <laughs> you know, I don't really know what to make of the defense entirely to this point either, because so many of those teams that we saw early on this season are vertical teams and they got beat deep against Dallas. And, you know, when Atlanta was trying to come back into the game with their, you know, they, they have three solid wide receivers for Matt Ryan to throw to, and, and maybe they weren't so beat down uh, as they were after a few games in the season. So I, I think they are going to, to kind of come back to earth a little bit in terms of their passing stats and what they allow. But um, I, I think they're going to have to take a very different approach than they've taken. And I, so I hope they learn something after playing the Arizona game because Kyler doesn't throw deep a whole lot. And I don't think Garoppolo is really a deep type thrower. So I, I feel like they can come up a little closer to the line of scrimmage and, and really try and, protect those more shallow throws that both the 49ers and Cardinals like to throw. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. If you're the, the Niners offense, you have to find a way to to attack a little bit deeper and just throw it up once or twice to try to soften it up a little bit because the, the, the Niners have only completed one pass this season that was, or Jimmy Garoppolo rather, has only completed one pass this season that was longer than 20 air yards. <laughs> was that the and one that, against the Patriots? Yeah, it was to Brandon Ayuk. <laughs> that wasn't even a good one. throw. Yeah, it was it was a good throw. Um, it, it could have been a little better, but you know, you, you watch the film, you give him credit at, because when he threw the ball, he didn't know that Ayuk was going to be that open. Yeah. 
And, and so, but that's only one, that's only one play. He actually is throwing deeper at a higher rate this year than he did last year, 8% versus six and a half percent last year, which put him last in the league out of qualifying quarterbacks last year. This year, he's still in the bottom, but, but he's just not completing them. There's only been 10 passes that he's, that he's attempted deep and only completed one. So you're, you're absolutely right. I think that, that Seattle's probably going to squat a little bit. They don't have to worry about getting deep. And, and if the Niners, uh, you know, I think they're probably going to attack that intermediate area a bit more. And this is where I think Brandon Ayuk can really shine. Um, cause Ayuk is a talented guy. He had over a hundred yards against new England and, and some of those were short plays, but you saw his ability to get open deep and he has speed. He was a four or five guy at the combine, but don't let that fool you. He had a core muscle injury. That guy runs like he's a four, four, uh, a guy on tape. He is fast. And, and I think he could have a, a really good game. I think if, if you were to the, the stat rather than Seattle's points that would tell me the Niners are winning is if Brandon Ayuk has over a hundred yards, mm. that's when I'm like, okay. That means Jimmy's cooking. That means the Niners were in it. That would tell me more than the overall point total from Seattle. So no Debo. I know one of the things that I worry the most with Samuel out there is that jet sweep. Are we going to see another 49ers wide receiver kind of taking similar reps of, uh, that Debo would normally run? I don't know that you're going to see another wide receiver do similar types of things because Debo is so unique as a runner. He's just so physical and so big that I don't know there's another wide receiver on the team that could do that. The only one that may get that kind of play is Kevin White. Kevin White, another reclamation project. You put him kind of in the Jason Brett bin of players that are oft injured but supremely talented. And, um, you know, he's just a player who's never been able to put it together because of injuries or, or other things. But he was drafted, I think, seventh overall. And, and he is talented. He's on the Niners practice squad, but he has basically taken uh, Dante Pettis' spot <laughs> at wide receiver. He's mm. gotten more snaps over the last few weeks. Uh, at this point, Dante Pettis is an afterthought in San Francisco. But with Debo's injury, there's a spot for another wide receiver to, uh, to come up and play. And that might be Kevin white. So he might be someone that you could see, but he's really going to be on the edges. This game is going to be won by players like Brandon Ayuk by George Kittle. Um, you might even see Kendrick Bourne not drop a pass in Seattle. I, you know, it's interesting. You brought up the, the hundred yard stat with Ayuk rather than the hundred yard stat with Kittle. Yeah, I think Kittle is is going to be he attacks defenses in a little different area. Uh, I don't know that you're going to see him on like a big post corner like he did against Green Bay. It's possible. But I think with Kittle, it's going to be, you know, I'm chewing up yards. I'm staying on schedule. Still good. Mm -hmm. But Ayuk, he's going to be that really intermediate or deep threat. And so if he's cooking, I know that offense is probably cooking. So are the 49ers, I, we saw the big trade from the Seahawks on Wednesday going out to get Carlos Dunlap to, to help with the pass rush. Big Before, trade? Is that a eh, big it's trade? A, well, it's, it's big for us, you know, because <laughs> we should have an impact. He, based on his stats, and he hasn't been used by the Bengals, he, he, he would be second on the Seahawks in terms of pressures to this point. So that, that is a big trade, Oscar. Oh, man, I don't you know. You can't lie to me like the, the 49ers weren't looking at him, too. No, I, the Niners literally have no space to make any moves. They were like last week, they were $31,000 under the cap before they like restructured Lake and Tomlinson's contract. And that's because they've, they've had so many people get injured. I mean, you pay Ziggy Ansah 3 million and then he promptly tears his pectoral or whatever, or his bicep or whatever it was. And that 3 million is, is basically eaten from the cap and gone. Yeah. So the Niners had like nine, nine or 11 million, I think at the beginning of the year, but because it had so many injuries and they've signed so many people, they were down to bare bones. So, you know, Niners fans are talking about, you know, Dunlap or other players like Ryan Kerrigan that may be available. And it's like, 
how you can't pay him. This is the squad you got. You can't do much of anything else. Maybe Um, John Lynch needs to hire me as an advisor so I can tell him, hey, maybe don't go out and sign all the dudes who have been injured before and expect them to not get injured this season. I know it's it's I I scream it from the hilltops. You know, (laughs) why why do your players get injured? Because you sign injured players. Sometimes it's not hard. Well, Oscar, really appreciate you coming on. You know, part of me is glad that the Arizona Cardinals beat us last week, because if the 49ers were to end our undefeated season, I I just can't think of anything worse. Yeah, that would uh, it's going to be a fun game. You never know what's going to happen when the Niners play Seattle and especially with no fans. I think it's the, the tilt's a little bit easier. I think that there are two things I cannot leave your podcast without speaking about. One, Fred Warner is the best linebacker in football. You know what? Me. I I can almost agree with you. I would put him up as an all pro second team all pro behind Bobby Wagner. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think Bobby Wagner had his moment in the sun. I think Fred Warner may be taking the mantle. He, he's he's playing really well this year. If you're if you're a fan of linebacking play uh, or line linebackers in general, this is going to be a fun game. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Wagner is still very good at football. Um, and and you've got Wagner who's good. I mean, Seattle knows uh, Dre Greenlaw from last year's you know clinch. Yeah. Uh, at the, Dre at the who? One. Is he still exactly. on the team? He still uh, has all the CLs. Also, yeah, he still has all the CLs. There's still time. <laughs> uh, and the other, my dude, Jamichael Hasty. Jamichael Hasty, running back, running straight into my soul. There was a void in my heart that was oh. about the size of Matt Breida. And, and it needs an undrafted free agent to fill it. And Jamichael Hasty is that guy. I especially meant to ask, with, so that's, that's going to be the dude for, for uh, the running back because Mostert's out and now even Wilson's out, right? Yeah, Wilson's out. He had a high ankle sprain. Uh, I'm getting very good at diagnosing those based on TV tape. Uh-huh. Uh, he's out. Uh, Tevin Coleman might come back this week. Um, he's he's the guy on offense who might come back. But if not, it's going to be Jermichael Hasty and Jarek McKinnon. And Jarek McKinnon, for some reason, got zeros. Like, he got like eight snaps last week. And, and apparently, uh, Coach Shanahan said that he was trying to rest his legs because he had like 67 snaps two weeks before. I mean, this is a guy who rested for two years rehabbing his knee. He's had no football wear and tear on his body. And and he had a major setback with his knee that cost him another year. I don't know. Something seems weird about that whole thing. It feels like it's more of a, you know, kind of Todd Gurley need to manage his knee issue and less of a his legs are tired type thing. Hmm. Either way, I think you could see a lot of Jermichael Hasty, And he's got some pep in his step. If you're looking, you asked me earlier if Debo, if there's another wide receiver that can do some of the stuff Debo does on those kind of swing routes or things like that, you might see some of that be Jamichael hasty where you get the ball out quick on a swing route. I don't want to see any guys with speed out there uh, against the Seahawks defense. So how about, you know, we just put all the running backs away because there, the Seattle has some running back issues this week too, with just lingering injuries and, and injuries from the, the Cardinals game. So we'll put all uh, running backs away and we'll just have a, a sling out duel between Jimmy Garoppolo and Russell Wilson. That's probably what it's going to end up being. Uh, but, but the Niners are going to try and make that a very different game. They're going to try and, uh, and really come up and hit Seattle in the mouth and really try to impose their will. Whether or not that is smart, whether or not they can do it, I don't know. But it's going to be fun to see which one of your defenders Kyle Shanahan decides to pick on. He's Oscar Aparicio of the Better Rivals podcast. Oscar, always appreciate you coming on the show. Always a pleasure to be on, man. Best of luck, as always, but not too much luck. Thanks once again to Oscar for coming on the show. You can follow him at Better Rivals on Twitter. You can subscribe to the Better Rivals podcast. That is now on the Blue Wire Network. Oscar did send me one correction. 
He said that the three throws to Tyler Lockett were among the seven most difficult passes, and it was actually two in the top seven and three in the top 15 last week. So apparently the back of the end zone catch that was called a touchdown, then not called a touchdown before reversing it back to the call that it was a touchdown. That was the easiest of the three incredible catches by Lockett last Sunday against the Cardinals. As incredible as those three catches were, we may need three incredible recoveries from our running back unit this week. Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, Travis Homer all did not practice Wednesday or Thursday. DJ Dallas was even on the injury report, but uh, he was a full participant in practice and has an arm injury. Looking at some of the other guys who did not practice either Wednesday or Thursday, Mike Yupati with a back injury. Shaquille Griffin with a concussion and hamstring injury. Ugo Amadi on there for a hamstring injury. Benson Mayoa did not practice either day with an ankle injury. And Jamal Adams still sitting out of practice with a groin injury and also listed as having an illness. So those are going to be the players to watch on Friday. Maybe even put a, a watch on to Ryan Neal because he was not on the injury report on Wednesday and then a limited participant with a hamstring injury on Thursday. So hopefully Neil will be back as a full participant because obviously the depth at safety is getting thin. So like I said, something to watch on Friday. You can watch the injury reports, check out the articles all at fieldgoals.com. Continue to tune in there. And then coming up on Saturday, I'll have the final look at the injury report as well as my picks with Anthony Knockreiner of the Knock on Sports. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Tell your friends sbnation.com slash NFL podcasts. Get it in your feed right away as soon as it's released. And we will talk to you next time. Until then, go Hawks. Hawks.